Well, my name is John, one of the pastors here. Uh, our lead pastor, Sean Richmond, is at one of the other churches in our network uh, here in the greater Boston area, which is called Community of Faith Christian Fellowship. It's in Brighton. And uh, so he's preaching there, so we're doing a, a pastoral preacher swap of sorts uh, so that we can share the wealth of the preachers um, in our movement of churches here. Um, so I have a, we are in for a real treat this morning. Uh, I want to invite Brian Carlson forward, and then I'm going to say a couple more words about him. Yeah, can we give Brian a nice big river, river welcome here? Uh, so Brian is the teaching pastor at the Harbor, which is our church up on the North Shore in Beverly, Massachusetts. Beverly, yeah, Massachusetts, not Hawaii. It would be awesome if we had a church plant in Hawaii. Maybe a calling out there for one of you. Uh, we'll get behind that quickly. But anyway, um, Brian has been a friend for a long time. We've known each other a while. And I just want to uh, commend him to all of us um, as an uh, amazing father, husband, um, friend. And he loves Jesus deeply. Um, and uh, as I was just thinking about him and just the important things to know, he is a man who honors God's word, and he just honors it well. He lives it with his life um, and cherishes the words of God. So it's a real treat for us, for him to be with us this morning, uh, to share. There's so many more things we could say um, about him, but I just, in the same way that you would uh, be excited about hearing from one of your own uh, pastors here, I just want to say, let's get excited uh, and receive Brian this morning, uh, as I know we all will. But uh, I want to pray for Brian. If you could all extend a hand just as a way of praying for him, and honestly, in your own heart, feel free to pray for him and pray for us uh, that God would move and would speak. So, Lord, thank you uh, for this opportunity to hear from Brian uh, as he shares uh, the things that you've put on his heart. And shares from your word. So we thank you for the years and the years of following you through trials, uh, through joys, and uh, all that you've taught him. And so we're excited about what you're going to do. And just ask that you would help us as listeners to hear your voice first and foremost. Um, And same for Brian, that as he speaks, uh, that it would be uh, led along by your spirit. And so we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, John. Hi, everybody. It's great to be with you guys. I was here uh, not too long ago. Actually, my uncle came and spoke. I don't know if you remember him. He was the crazy Italian guy. And uh, so it's it's been a while since I've been here, and it's just great to be with you. So before I became a pastor, I was a math teacher for 10 years. And I taught math in the public school. I taught both middle school and high school math. Uh, all the way from kind of seventh grade up to algebra two. And math is one of the easiest subjects to teach and one of the hardest. Now, math is one of the easiest subjects to teach because it's probably the least amount of prep work, like behind-the-scenes work to do. The joke in the teacher world is that the math teachers are the ones in the teacher lounge reading the newspaper because everybody else has got all the work to do. You know, you're not bringing home those tote bags that you see those teachers carrying with, like, 
you know, 50 research papers that they've got to get through this weekend. They're not setting up all these complex labs in the science rooms, you know, mixing chemicals and seeing what happens or, you know, trying to figure out the right inclined plane to use or, you know, setting up dead frogs everywhere for people to cut open and making sure they don't cut each other. It's a lot of work these science teachers and English teachers and history teachers do. And the content is really limited, right? If you know algebra, geometry, trig, and calculus, you're good to go. That's it. As opposed to history where you have to know everything that's ever happened, right? <laughs> good luck with that one. Or science, you have to know how everything works in the universe, right? From the human body to, like, galaxies and stars and all that stuff. So... And, you know, it's, it's easy to grade, too. You know, it's right or wrong. And, yeah, there's some partial credit you throw in there for the right logic and thought, but much easier task. And um, generally speaking, you know, um, math can also be one of the hardest things to teach because people have issues with math. Now, just a quick poll. How many of you would out there just raise your hand? You would say, you know what, I, I'm good at math. This might be above average showing in here. This is a pretty intelligent group. Okay, I wasn't expecting that. Maybe a third of you, okay, under my math teacher estimates. Um, A lot of people have issues with math. It's kind of like a relationship that's gone bad. You're going along pretty well. Things are exciting. You're learning about these numbers, you know. And all of a sudden, somebody sticks one number on top of another number with a line over it. It's like, what is that? Who said you could put a number on it? That's a fraction? What's a fraction, you know? So my high school students, they, they still didn't understand that. And so, you, you know, you kind of push through and you say, okay, I didn't really get the fractions thing, but I'll keep going. I'll, I'll look at a circle and maybe study that a little bit. And, but then, you know, you hit a certain point and it's like, man, this really isn't working out between us, math. It's, it's getting a little complicated. And over time, you just realize you, you have to, math, I'm sorry, but this isn't working. I think we should break up. So for me, as a high school math teacher for most of my years, I've gotten the students that they broke up with math seven years ago. They've decided, you know, I'm not good at math. I can't do it. It's impossible for me because I just, I just can't do it. I wasn't gifted the way other people were in math. Now, there's a lot of things there. And, and you know, if I ever go back to math teaching, I want to be an elementary math specialist that deals with some of those psychological barriers that we form because you just didn't get it at some point and then you fell behind. But for many of us, following Jesus is like our relationship with math. At some point, we've hit a roadblock. We've hit something and we say, man, I can't do this. Maybe it's a personal issue, an addiction. Maybe it's, it's uh, depression or just you know, anger, something that you haven't been able to overcome in your own life. Maybe it's more interpersonal. Maybe the church is the problem. You've been hurt in the past. You've checked out a church and you've been totally let down. Or maybe it's a failed marriage. Or it's, it's someone hurt you really bad in your family. Maybe it's just loneliness. Maybe for you it's uh, the idea of evangelism. It's this whole task of we're supposed to spread this message of Jesus all over the earth and make disciples, and there's a lot of antagonism to that message. Good luck with that, Jesus. I definitely can't do it. See, we develop these blocks of just feeling like we can't follow Jesus. It's it's really difficult from ourselves, with other people, and then this mission that God wants us to be a part of 
and restoring the whole world and making it a place that you know, God can eventually come and dwell again feels impossible. Is it actually possible to do this life well? To follow Jesus in a way that we're going to have victory in our own life, our relationships with others and in the church, and have success in this mission that God has called us to? How are we supposed to do that? Especially when it feels like there's so many things to work through and overcome in life. We're in the Partying God series, and we're talking about how God is a God of extravagant celebration. Right? God is all about the party, because God is the life of the party. He's the only true party. And he's moving all of history to a party. The marriage supper of the Lamb is what the Bible calls it, when the followers of Jesus, those that put their trust in him, are going to be united to him, and it'll be this grand celebration for the rest of eternity. But in this in-between time, it doesn't always feel like a party. It feels like we've somehow been excluded from the party, or we're stuck while other people are kind of enjoying the success of this party. So if you have a copy of the good book, why don't you turn to the book of Acts, also known as Luke 2, or Luke 2, if it's French. So we're going to be right in Acts chapter 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses of this book. And this passage is kind of a summary of a, and a guide to the whole rest of this book. I encourage you to read it, give time if you're interested in some of the stuff I'm talking about today and you want to kind of look into more of what I'm saying to see if it's really true. It's a great, great thing to read. So this is Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. So Luke says, in the first book, that's Luke part 1, O Theophilus, the guy he's writing to, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, you heard it right here from Jesus, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're looking for Jesus to be this ultimate Davidic king, like the King David, and just blow out the Romans and set up God's kingdom on earth. And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. That's coming someday, guys. You've got to wait for that. There's something else that's got to happen first. And then he says in verse 8, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking into heaven? As Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. How are we supposed to do this whole Christian life thing? 
Is it possible to actually gain traction in our own lives and our own issues with other people and our friendships, marriage, in the church, with our kids? How are we to take this message that Jesus has given us and bring Jesus to even the ends of the earth as this passage described? Well, this passage says, party in, party on, party out. Party in, party on, party out. This passage is saying we need power in order to do what Jesus is calling us to do. We cannot do it on our own, actually. We have to have power. And this was the whole reason that Jesus told his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit. See, God wants the Holy Spirit to be in us, to be on us, so that the Holy Spirit can go out from us, even to the ends of the earth. Now, let's break this passage down a little bit, okay? First of all, this is what Jesus did. This is actually how Jesus ministered. The Bible says that Jesus, you know, emptied himself and became a man, and then all through the book of Luke, particularly of all the Gospels, Luke is the one that highlights how the Holy Spirit leads Jesus. Right? He's baptized, the Holy Spirit comes down on him like a dove, and then it says the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness. And that phrase about the Holy Spirit leading Jesus is used throughout Luke, and it shows, Luke highlights how the Holy Spirit is working in Jesus to lead him to do all this powerful stuff that Jesus is doing. So it mentions that again in this passage. It says that Jesus gave commands how? What's Luke highlighting? Through the Holy Spirit. He's the example for us to follow and that everything that he did was in line with what the Holy Spirit was speaking to him to do and what the Holy Spirit was giving him power to do. Jesus wasn't always just pulling the God card out. The Bible doesn't doesn't show us that. It says the opposite, that, that Jesus was relying on his Father. He only did what he saw his Father doing as the Holy Spirit revealed to him. He only said what the Father said. This is from the book of John, right? He's only ever doing what the Holy Spirit is revealing to him about his Father. So Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to do what he did. He needed power. It mentions that word in the book of Luke, that there was power present. The power of God was present for Jesus to heal. You guys buying it? Okay? So Jesus knows the disciples need this same power if they're going to move forward. If they're going to be able to do what he's going to call them to do, which he said, hey, you know, go make disciples of all nations let alone deal with their own issues and, and stuff in their church, the church that's going to be formed. So what does he tell them to do? Go and wait. He doesn't say, okay, guys, quick pep talk. As soon as I'm, I'm going to go up in a cloud, you won't see me anymore. I'll be back later. It's actually been 2,000 years now, so a lot later. So let's get going. As soon as I leave, hit, you know, hit, hit the road. Start evangelizing. Get out there in twos like I showed you to do before. And you know how you healed the sick before. You're going to do that again like he sent out the 12 and the 72. So gather some other people. Get them to do it. Nope. He says, wait. Isn't that interesting? They needed to wait for God to envelop them with power. We have to have power if we're going to make it. Jesus knows that because that's what he was doing his whole life, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The disciples had ministry experience. They've been doing this for three years. They actually walked with Jesus physically. It wasn't enough. They saw Jesus do it. It wasn't enough. They had to have the power of the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of the power, Jesus says in this passage, is to be his witnesses. Party in, party on, party out. It's to be his witnesses. See, we have to deal with some of our own stuff and get things kind of in a peaceful way in our families and church for the message to go out. The more of that power we have amongst ourselves, the more we have the power to go out and reach the world. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that we have to have. So we need that same power. We have to have power. We have to have ability given from God to do the things he's called us to do. Now, if there's any generation that should get this, it's us. Because we live in a world that relies on power all the time. It's everywhere. Oh, I'm going to pull, pull this cord out. This has to have power. I have to plug this in every night because it's kind of a cheaper version of, you know, a phone. And so it dies if I don't plug it in, right? It needs power. All the equipment needs power, electricity. It's a perfect example of what we need. We have to have power if we will function, if we will have the ability that we're called to have, that we were built, that we were made, that we were fashioned to do. We have to have power. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is debated quite a bit in the church. Okay? Some people think it happens immediately when you say, Jesus, I believe in you. Other people think it's a secondary thing. I think there's some theories in the past where there was like a third anointing. Let's just keep it simple. We need the Holy Spirit. I think God's pretty happy with that answer. He wants us to have more of his Holy Spirit. Now, I think the Bible really clearly teaches that when we put our trust in, in Jesus, God is in us. He's put his spirit in us. Romans 8. Go, go and read that if you want to do some research or argue with that. His spirit is in us. But there seems to be something about the spirit coming on people. Okay? The spirit falls on the disciples. Jesus has already said to them, he breathes on them. <sighs> kind of a weird thing to do. Okay? And then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Right? That's in the end of John. Before this event happens, we're going to see at Pentecost in the book of Acts. So it seems like the Spirit's in us, and we believe in Jesus, and then the Spirit comes on us. And the disciples experienced that over and over again in the book of Acts. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they did this, and they witnessed, and they preached boldly, and then this guy was healed, and all this stuff happened. So the point is we need the Holy Spirit. However, however you want to theologically tease all that out, don't miss the point. You need the Holy Spirit. And we need to ask God and receive it from him. And there's always more available. Now, think about what your experience might have been different with math. How it might have been different if at that point when fractions were introduced and your mind exploded because... You know, your body had grown to a certain point, but your brain just hadn't been there yet. For kids, you know, they grow at different rates. Sometimes their body grows a little bit, sometimes their brain grows, right? And not every kid's at the same point. 
It's not your fault, is what I'm trying to say. This is the heart of a math teacher here, okay? If you had had a little personal tutor to take you aside and say, hey, let's just take some time and make sure you get fractions before you go on to, you know, multiplying them or adding them together, okay? Let's just kind of take some time. You had a personal guide that was going to take you through and just be patient with you and work through this whole deal with fractions until you got it. And then, okay, great, we'll just slide you right back in and you can pick up where you left off. My bet is it would have been a much different experience. So you had someone to come alongside you to give you the, the, the power, the ability to kind of stay on track, right? It's the same with the Holy Spirit. He's our coach. He's our comforter. And he also gives us power to comprehend not only the word of God, but then to do it. Right? The Holy Spirit says he will teach us all things. He will remind you of everything that Jesus has said. Promise of the Holy Spirit. All right. So maybe you're thinking, okay, God, if I was you, I wouldn't say you necessarily have to wait for more power. I'd just give everybody all the power right at once as soon as they believe. If there's always more power available to us, or if there is this sense of, you know, we ask for more of the Holy Spirit, we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit comes on us in this baptism to have power to do this following Jesus thing, why would God wait? I mean, why delay? Why not just unload everything all at once in the beginning? I mean, that makes sense to me. I, want, I just want it all right now. Well, the second thing we got to understand is that the party's a partnership. The party's a partnership. If God is really a relational God, if he's not some deist God, if he's not just kind of separate up there, just kind of, you know, pulling strings and making everybody do what he wants, then we can understand his desire for a partnership if he really is a relational God. See, God wants relationships. He's all about the journey. Because for him, the journey is really fun. Now, think about this in a marriage. My wife and I have been married four years. And we didn't know each other that well when we got married, which is maybe true for most people. You find out a lot after you're married. But we dated long distance. So it was, you know, we, didn't, we just didn't spend that much time together. So if, if right on day one of when we're married, it was just like, okay, great. I know everything about you. Awesome. Now we can just kind of move forward with doing what? What would we do? Because all we do now is just talk and try to get to know each other. I mean, that's what it's all about. And it's fun to look back and see how we've made progress, right? How now we can, like, you know, look back and joke about, you know, we just didn't even know, like, what the other person liked. Now I can tell you, like, oh, my wife's not going to like that, you know? I know what she likes, okay? I know certain things, you know, not to do. Okay? It's the same for God. He wants to bring us on a journey, right? It's a partnership. There's, there's joy in the journey. The party's really a partnership. That's what God wants. And, you know, it was this way for Jesus, too. I'm not making this up. This isn't the Bible. Jesus grew, it says, in wisdom and stature and in favor. He grew in favor. With God and man. Jesus grew. He grew physically. He grew spiritually as he realized more and more who he was. And journeyed in his relationship with God. I was quoting the Bible. Right? 
The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience in Hebrews through what he suffered. Man, that is a puzzler, isn't it? Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. It seemed, the Bible seems to indicate that there was a journey for Jesus as well. Now, obviously, he never sinned, so it wasn't in, in him. Um, it was just learning a greater level of obedience, a greater level of dedication to the Lord until he got to the point where he could lay down his life and suffer for us. Right? Jesus had to grow to get to that point. Why did Jesus fast for 40 days before he was tempted by the devil? Was it to weaken him so that he would be super vulnerable and then the devil could come in there and really get him? Maybe. Maybe it's because through fasting we grow in power. Spiritual power. Even though it weakens our body, it increases our power so that Jesus had the power to resist the temptation. So obviously it's the same for us. And God is just all about relating to us. We have to understand that he is our dad. And he wants us to call him that and walk through this life with him so that we can enjoy getting to know him. It's got to be a journey for us. And God likes to surprise us. He doesn't want to just give us everything all at once. He wants there to be different places in our journey of growth and surprise and excitement. And that's what life's all about. Okay, you know, Luke 11 just says, hey, you know, Jesus is a good dad. He's not going to give, you know, none of you give your son or daughter a stone when they ask for bread, right? Or, you know, a a snake when they ask for a taco, right? I put that in there. Okay. Um, You know, Jesus, it says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? God's not holding out. It's not that he's holding out on us. He's just waiting for us to be ready, to want more of him. And and God wants an invitation. He's not going to barge in on your life and just take it over and send you to, you know, Timbuktu or something, somewhere you don't want to go, right? He wants to know you and to you to know him. Obviously, he knows all about us, but he wants the relationship to grow. He wants an invitation. What does it say in Revelation? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And that was written to who? The church. Not people that are outside of God's family. It was written to the church. Behold, I stand on the outside of your door. I'm knocking, Jesus says. If you say come in, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. See, Jesus is waiting for an invitation to give you more intimacy with him and more power through his Holy Spirit. Now, another point that I think the reason that God makes it a partnership is because he wants us to rely on each other. If you just had it all right in the beginning, what need do you have for all these other people? I mean, give me a break. I've got everything. I've got full anointing, all power. I have no more sin because I'm perfect. You wouldn't need anybody else. You just go out and do your thing. Everybody else will just need you. It doesn't work like that. God wants us to be connected, interdependent, rooted, Now think about this, right? If the Holy Spirit is, you know, and I don't think it's necessarily, has to always be the case that like the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes with someone laying hands on you. That seems to be the model in scripture. Happens at least uh, three times. Acts 8, 10, and I believe 19. And it could happen in other ways too. It seems like there's, there's room for that. But if it was, I mean, think about that. 
That means that when you, you know, have like the baptism of the Holy Spirit or some encounter with the Holy Spirit, you're in this line all the way back to the apostles. Like you're part of the family. Like God wants you to feel like I'm in the club. He wants all of his people to feel that, right? There's, there's, there's something to things being imparted to you by other people. And I'm not saying it has to happen that way, but there's something kind of cool of saying, wow, this person laid a hand on me. Now, an example of that real quick. Uh, a few years ago, I was really wanting to receive the gift of tongues. And uh, this man, Joe Ewan, was at a world mandate, prayed over me, and I received that gift. My wife, a little while later, got down to the living room floor when she was all by herself and said, Jesus, I'm not getting up until you give me the gift of tongues. And then she got it. No one laid hands on her. Well, there you go. Okay, so there's, there's some room to open us. What I'm saying is here, though, there's, there's a connection. God wants us to be connected to his historic church, all of his followers from all time. He wants us to sense that we need each other. We don't just have it all. It's a partnership with each other as well as between us and God. Uh, and there's also this sense of, of kind of interconnection that I think God wants to humble us, right? To, say, to, to bring us to a place of humility. A few years ago, at, at another world mandate, uh, there was, there was a guy that, uh, kind of a, a big name in our movement, and he has served overseas in some really difficult places, and he had experienced some post-traumatic stress from living in one of those places. And I just felt the Lord give me a word. I was just, you know, a little math teacher guy, you know. I just felt like he told me he, I was supposed to go pray for this guy. I was a little intimidated because, you know, he was kind of up here, and I was this little dude. And, um, you know, spiritual weakling. And um, not, that I'm, not that I'm not anymore. Um, so I, I, I didn't do it the first time he spoke it, and then the next day I felt like he said I, I was supposed to do it again. So finally at the end of the conference, like Sunday, like, you know, right at the end, I went over to him and I just prayed for him. And the Lord really started moving on him. It was incredible. Like, he just was, like, kind of crying out to the Lord, and then he told me later on after that had happened that it, it, something really shifted for him. Now, isn't that amazing that God can use me to bless this big, mighty, you know, missionary worker difficult places in the world, you know, reaching Muslim. Amazing. I mean, that's pretty neat, but that's the same thing. You know, a little child can pray for someone and they get healed because it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not, there's no, there's no superheroes except for Jesus, right? He's the only one, but we all need his power and we need each other and it's a partnership. We're not getting it all at once and we need each other and it's a journey that we want to take with God. Okay, so the final question then is, how do I get more of the Holy Spirit? How do I get more power to overcome the stuff in my own life, to actually love my enemies? Man, that's a tough one. And then to not be afraid when I have to, like, you know, want to tear the gospel of somebody, ooh, ow, right? It can feel really awkward, like I'm trying to sell somebody something, or they don't want to hear this, or I don't want to share it because I'm going to feel foolish, or all that fear, all those things. It's all connected, right? And this big ball of mess that's me. How can we have power? How do we get this power, more of this power from God? Okay? Now, the first thing you have to understand is not, did I get it? Wrong question. The question is always, how do I get more? So it's not like, okay, everyone that's received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, line up over here. And everyone that hasn't, you're over here. You know, second grade citizen. Wrong. 
The question is always, how do I get more? Okay, how do I get more? It's not, did I get it? It's not grade A Christians and grade B and C and D, right? Jesus doesn't really work like that. Okay, if you hang around him at all. It's kind of like we're all in the same boat, but we just want to keep moving together forward, right? And receiving more of his Holy Spirit, looking more like Jesus, doing things the way that Jesus did and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. There's things, though, that we can do because this is a partnership to help make that happen. Now, the disciples waited, but you notice they didn't just do this if you read on in Acts chapter 1. They prayed, and they kind of like prepared themselves to some degree. It says, if you read on in Acts chapter 1, they, they selected a replacement for Judas. They were anticipating and asking God for him to do what he, would, what he said he would do. They're saying, okay, God is going to come, so we need a 12th guy to complete this team that God's raised up to be apostles, and we're going to pray. And we're going to wait and pray until we, God is giving us what he's promised to give us. And so there's a partnership here is the whole point I'm trying to make. So there's two things I want to leave you with. One is the baptism of the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's something when the Lord comes on you in a special way that just gives you a boost. It gives you a boost in your power, in your ability to look like Jesus, to have more of the fruit of the Spirit, to you know, witness to other people, to tell them about Jesus, to love your spouse, to love your kids. There's a certain releasing there that God can do in certain circumstances where you just say, you know what, I'm different from how I was after that happened. It can be in little ways, it can be in huge ways for people. There's, there's not really a, a formula, okay? But it's something that we should seek. We should ask other people to pray for us and lay hands on us and ask for more of the Holy Spirit, to receive more of the Holy Spirit. But the second thing is we can also, to not say equations, here is one. You guys have that on the slide? I'm, I'm taking this from a, a guy named Jordan Sang. He was a he actually helped um, plant the vineyard in Cambridge here, and now he's at a church in Hawaii, interestingly enough, where he planted a church. But I'm taking this from him. And I thought this was a really helpful equation for how we can grow in power. So apart from just the Holy Spirit coming on us and someone laying hands on us or having some you know, crazy encounter with God, there's other ways that we can increase in the power that we're able to use to overcome sin, to bless other people, to, to kind of impart you know, healing to somebody. And it's this, okay, you got authority, this math teacher loves this, right? I just ate this up when I saw it. Authority plus gifting plus faith plus consecration. So instead of, you know, obviously we want more of the Holy Spirit, we can ask God to just come on us and fall on us, but we can also do this. We can grow in authority. And what that really means is just obedience. As we learn to come under God's authority and saying, God, your way is the best way. Thank you, Veggie Tales, right? We gain authority. Why does a teacher have authority in the classroom? The only reason they have authority is because there's people backing them up. And all teachers know that because if there's no one backing them up, a lot of times their authority is really in question. If you send a kid out of the room and nothing happens to them, they just come back in with a smile on their face and say, oh, they just sent me back, do, do, do. Well, there goes all my authority. Great. Right? If I'm under authority, then I have authority. Police officer. Why do they get to tell people what to do? Because the whole state's backing them up, right? And saying, nope, these people are elected by us, not elected, but selected 
you know, approved by us to do all this stuff, pull you over, give you a ticket, okay? Say, you can't do that, okay? Put handcuffs on you, throw in the back of the wagon, all right? It's when you come under authority that you have authority. So we do that by obeying. Because when we obey, we have authority, okay? Secondly, gifting. There's, there's something about, you know, gifting in certain areas that gives us more power, right? So you might have, you might come to find out you actually have a gift for healing. When you pray for people, man, they start getting well. It's wild. Now, it's not to say you can't do that if you don't have the gift, but it gives you some kind of a boost in that area. The Holy Spirit's gifted you in, in so many different ways. My wife has a gift of hospitality. You know, she just loves doing that. And it's, it's just, it's like a boost. There's a boost in that area where she feels passionate about, about people feeling cared for with physical needs, especially she brings a lot of food and makes a lot of delicious meals, okay? And she just has a passion for that. There's, there's a boost in that gifting area that gives her more power to actually be able to put these meals together while managing two little kids, you know, at home. There's power there, okay? Faith is another one. Jesus talks about faith all the time, right? If you have faith this big, Mustard seed, you can just tell that mountain to go jump in the ocean and it'll do it. There's something about faith that is really important for the releasing of power. What does the Bible say about wisdom? Anyone who asks for wisdom, God will give it, James chapter 1. But you must ask without doubting. The one who doubts is like a wave tossed around by the ocean, right? They won't get what they ask for. Faith releases the power of God. Right? It releases God's power in the earth and in us. When we say, you know what, God? I'm not seeing what your word says is true, but I'm not letting go until I do. That's the kind of faith that can move a mountain. That's the kind of faith that can change your heart. That's the kind of faith that can fix a broken marriage. That's the kind of faith that's going to see your coworkers come to know Jesus. Jesus, the harvest is plentiful. I believe it until I see it. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus says it, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord to send out harvest workers, right, into his harvest fields. Okay, the last thing is consecration. This is things like fasting, prayer, where you're setting yourself aside. In the Old Testament, it was all those weird things that the Israelites had to do that didn't make any sense. You know, like tassels on your garment, or don't mix, you know, wool and linen. Why? Consecration. They're doing it to say, I'm separating myself out for God. We do that with fasting, prayer, other things that God might call you to do where you're saying, Lord, I need an answer. Lord, I need to overcome this addiction. Lord, I want my coworker to know Jesus. We can set ourselves apart in some way that gives us somehow more power because we're more focused on that, okay? Now, all of this to say, party in, party on, the party will go out. Right? We need to ask the Lord for more. More party, more power. No party, no power. The party is all of these things. Right? It's God just coming on us in some ways when we're seeking him for asking for more of the spirit, but we can also partner with him in saying, hey, Lord, I'm going to obey. Why? Not just so God's happy. You see, it's for other people. When we disobey, other people suffer. Not just directly, but because we've lost some authority with the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Our disobedience doesn't do anything with our relationship with God. 
He still loves us. He's still our dad. What does it do? Lowers our power level. And the world suffers for it. Now, it's not a condemnation thing, but it should be liberating. Because you should say, man, I want to obey because I want other people to be blessed. Because I do want to see God's kingdom come. Because I do want to see my family succeed. God wants you to succeed. We're not living under a cloud, guys. We're living in a cloud, actually. We're living in a fog known as the favor of God. This is the year of the Lord's favor. We're not under a cloud like Eeyore. We're in a cloud. We're in the fog. Everything we do is blessed because we are blessed. That's what happened with Abraham. He was blessed so that he could be a blessing to others. He prays for people and they are blessed in Genesis. Look at the life of Joseph. Everything he did, man, it turned to gold. You know, put the guy in charge of Potiphar's house, the thing just blows up, right? All kinds of success. Goes to jail, suffers. Doesn't matter, favor of God's on his life. Whole jail's been running well, no one's escaped, everyone's happy in the jail, amazing, right? What happens, right? He's stuck there. Then, all of a sudden, anointed to the same place, hey, same favor, now his, his just realm of influence has increased. Now all of Egypt is blessed and well, as well as his family and other nations that come, Right? It doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer. Joseph suffered mightily, but he knew he had the favor of God. And I think a piece of that is because he was a favored son, wasn't he? And that helped him understand how he could be a favored son of God. You know it's there because he says at the end, right, God, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. You know why? Because he loves me and I have his favor. I have his favor. Everything I touch is blessed because I've got his favor. See, it's faith in that that releases God's power. We're not just trying to do this on our own, guys. It's not Jesus says, here's the Bible, good luck, buddy. He has to give us his power, and we need to seek his power and believe that we can receive it. Listen, God made everything out of nothing. He can certainly make something out of me. He just spoke, and all the world came into existence can certainly work with this. See, the Holy Spirit is your, is your math trauma counselor. Okay? He wants to deal with all those things in you and give you power so you can be a mathematician. Even better, a mathlete. Right? He wants to see you succeed in every place of your life so that other people will be blessed. Right? We've got to be blessed to be a blessing to other people. God wants you to be blessed. It doesn't mean he's not going to suffer. Look at the life of Joseph. But he wants us to succeed. And he wants us to have more of his spirit. So let's have the band come back up. So just as we respond today, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And then he's going to come. Because God says in his word that God's a good dad and if we ask for bread, he's not going to give us a stone. And if we ask for uh, fish, he's not going to give us a serpent. We're going to ask for the Holy Spirit to come. He's going to come. And David, if you would, wouldn't mind coming up, um, we're just going to wait as the band kind of amps up for a minute. We're just going to wait just for a minute, maybe a minute and a half, and just I want you to get in a posture of asking the Lord to come. So this is a time for you just to kind of focus on the Lord.
And David and I are just going to kind of wait in the Lord as well, and we're going to see what the Holy Spirit wants to do, and then we'll give some, some further direction.